Hello, and thank you for joining the North Point Church Lutes podcast. We're excited that you found us, and we pray that you'll come back often and listen again and again. Each week, we upload the content preached in one of the North Point Church services here in Lutes, and we pray that you'll come back and listen and marinate on what it is that God was teaching us. The more that these messages get into your heart, the more that you have the opportunity to be obedient and allow them to change your life. We believe that God is real and His Word is true, and that has the power to change your life. So let's lean in together and see what it is that God has in store for you today. I want to uh, begin uh, the, the uh, message this morning with a, a scripture that most likely you've memorized. It's not going to be on the screen anywhere, uh, but um, if you know it, I want you to kind of say it in your heart, your mind, or out loud with me as you say it. But it's, it's this, it's trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path or make your path straight. You probably have memorized that. How many has memorized that verse in the course of their life? Great. How many, raise your hand if you believe that verse. Raise your hand, come on. You believe that verse, okay? How many know that that verse is easier to live out when the Lord seems to be serving your needs pretty well? And how many know that it's hard to live that verse out when it looks like God is inactive and time is of the essence and you're facing adversity? It's really hard to trust God in that verse, isn't it? I mean, because that's the truth. It's really easy to trust in the Lord with all your heart and not lean on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him when you're living in a time where God is just serving your needs so well. When you're just living in a place and in a moment in a time when just things are going well. It is just so easy for us to trust in God. But it is another thing altogether. It's another ball game altogether, so to speak, when we face adversity and we face situations where time is of the essence, and especially when those times align with moments where we feel like God is inactive. Trusting in the Lord, when it appears that that's happening, it's, it's a different story. And this morning, I want to talk to you about a story that most likely you're familiar with if you've been around church most of your life or part of your life. Because we taught this story to our kids, although I question why we teach a story like this to our children. Some Bible stories are just kind of creepy, right? This is a story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where we throw men into a fiery furnace. You know, okay, children, good night. We love you. Now I lay me down to sleep, and I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If you should die before you wake, you know. It's like these, what are we doing to our poor children? I pray the Lord my soul to take. But, but here we are, you know, this is a Bible story about three Jewish men. It begins, Daniel's actually a part of the story too, but, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How many remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And so in that story, you have uh, these three Jewish guys and they're, they're slaves, but they got promoted to leadership under King Nebuchadnezzar. And they were given a lot of responsibility. And of course, that responsibility came with uh, a lot of jealousy from the people that were in the king's courts who, just, who wanted to have that position and that notoriety and that level of leadership. And so um, these men decided that they wanted to get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego kind of in a catch-22 situation because they would only worship the true God of Israel, uh, Yahweh. And so they decided to kind of set them up, so to speak, 
And so these men convinced King Nebuchadnezzar to build this gigantic statue of himself, cover it in gold. And then they said, King, man, every time you blow this horn, you make this big sound, everyone has to bow down to your statue. And the king, being this arrogant, filled guy, he's like, yeah, let's do that. And so he, of course, sets this thing up. And anyone that doesn't do it has to be you know, executed in the fiery furnace. And the king's like, deal, let's go ahead and do it. And of course, this was a grand setup for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they would be killed uh, in this setup because he knew that these men knew that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would never bow down to the king. And so that's exactly what would happen. The king made this decree, and they would have to uh, choose whether or not they were going to bow down or not. So let's look at what these men decided to do. Here's how it ended up in the story. In uh, Daniel chapter 3, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, and they said, King, listen, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. Because if, man, even if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, pay attention to this because we're going to come back to this. This is so important to where we're going to head today. Even if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. And it goes on to say, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it really clear to you, your majesty, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. Now, leave that verse there for a moment because I want you to think about this for a second. This was not just some arrogant statement that these young men were making. This was a real intimidating circumstance that these men found themselves into. They could see with their own eyes and they had personal experience about the fiery furnace that they were going to be thrown into. A furnace that would be so hot that it would actually melt human flesh before they would ever be brought up to it. And, and, and you can see by reading God's Word, if you read the story, you can see that men died actually trying to warm this furnace up to the degrees of which they were going to have to be thrown into it. People were dying just getting close to it. And so these men were not just simply saying, yeah, all right, listen, that, hype, that hypothetical fiery furnace, this was very much a real and imminent danger and a certain death that these men were facing. And so when they were saying to the king, listen, God can save us. Even if we get thrown into it, God can save us. But if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, even if he doesn't, we will never serve your gods. So we're going to, if, if, if he doesn't do it, we will choose to die in this way. Did you catch that? Even if we're thrown into the furnace, we're still going to trust God even into the point of death. What resolve? What faith that they had? I want to have a faith like that. I wonder if you and I could ever have a faith like that. To have that level of resolve inside our heart and our mind. Do you think it's possible? That you could be put in such a situation where you could have a confident faith that even if the worst situation could happen in your life, you could still say, I will choose to trust God and I will choose not to turn my back on God and I will choose to walk through this dark valley even if and even when and even through the most difficult circumstances. You see, it's easy to trust God when things are going your way, isn't it? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Boy, it's easy. 
But it's an entirely different story to trust God in the face of uncertainty and adversity. That's what I want to talk about today. How do you and I come to a place in our lives where we can face those difficult seasons and those difficult times, but yet come out of those seasons and having that type of faith and that type of resolve that God's still in control, even though and even when and even if everything just goes completely against what you're hoping for. I have a shelf to put that on in our family, and I know you have a shelf to put that on potentially in your situation. And if you were here at marriage night this Friday night, you would have heard a story through my dear friends John and Elaine as they shared their testimony from a place of real vulnerability and real transparency about what they've experienced in their life and through their marriage. And you would have heard John share his part of his story where in his first marriage, see, John was married before. And in his first marriage, John uh, had placed, he, he was married, he had two daughters, and he, he placed his wife and his two kids on an airplane to fly back to Malaga, Spain to be with her, her, uh, the grandparents and her mom and dad. And, and he placed them on the plane and they left. And a couple weeks later, they were to fly back home. But as he was waiting for his family, his wife and his two kids to fly back home, the plane would crash and he would lose his wife and both his daughters in the same moment. Of course, this was before cell phones and before knowing how to communicate and, and being able to communicate. And so he would wait at the gate here in, in America to see if they would arrive through other mechanisms and through other travel because some survivors were on the plane. They never would arrive. And then later he would have to board a plane and fly to Malaga, Spain, just to see if, in fact, they were alive to learn only that his family had perished on the flight. And then John would talk about how he had to process that through his faith and through all that God had done and, and what he was learning and how painful it was. And it was just incredibly hard as he shared that story. But then he would then later tell the story how he would get remarried to Elaine. And then Elaine would begin to tell the story of how their new life together, how they were trying to rebuild this new family that God had, re, had, had you know, re kind of you know, just giving them a new blessing as a new couple together. And they began to pursue having children. And then through um, infertility and through miscarriages and through struggles to have children, they just, they just seemed like, man, God, what is going on? And they just struggled and struggled. And then later, God would bless them with two daughters. But sadly, one of their daughters would die. The tragedy of the story would break your heart to hear it. If you want to hear the story, I encourage you to listen because as you listen to this sad story, you'll be inspired by their faith because although and even though they walk through some of the hardest moments that human beings need to, will ever walk through, losing children in your life, facing incredible loss, instead of cursing God, They somehow trusted him and held on to their faith. It's inspiring. Oh, I want a faith like that. A faith like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. A faith like John and Elaine Ayan. The Bible, in fact, is full of story upon story 
of men and women of faith who had faith just like that. We see Abraham with a faith like that with Isaac. We see Moses with a faith like that, even as he had to return back to Egypt for the very first time, knowing that he had committed murder when he left, but yet he was going back knowing that he could face execution, but yet he still went back to do what God called him to do. We see the faith of Rahab, and we see David in his faith as he conquers Goliath and multiple things throughout King David's life. We see the faith of Hannah as she prays. We see Gideon as God uses him in mighty ways. We see Elijah. We see Esther risking her life for her people. We see Paul and Silas. We see Stephen dying a martyr's death. Even though he was being stoned, he still had a faith that didn't perish. (laughs) Oh, to have a faith like that. It's easy to trust in God when it appears that God is serving you well in your life, but it's an entirely different story when you face adversity and when time is of the essence, when it appears that God is inactive in your circumstances. But as believers, you and I have the capacity to learn an incredible lesson about who our God is and apply that to our lives in the area of faith that we can develop what Louis Giglio would call an even though I will type of faith. If you've read the book, Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table, it's, one, it's a great book and I recommend reading it. It's Louis Giglio's latest book. My wife and I have read it. Our, we bought it for our kids. We've purchased it for many of our friends. Such a powerful book. And in that book, he he references a prayer that's found in Habakkuk chapter 3. It's probably one of the most beautiful prayers and declarations of faith and hope in all of Scripture. Habakkuk is describing, a, um, he's actually, he's a prophet, and he's praying for revival, and he's pleading with God for mercy while he awaits the imminent invasion of the Babylonians. It's a difficult time, and he's praying this prophetic prayer of things to come. And Louis Giglio describes this prayer as an even though I will type of faith prayer. And so let's read it together and see what he's talking about. It says this. This is the prayer that Habakkuk would pray. That even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, and even though the olive crops are failing, and even though the, uh, and, and the fields lie empty and barren, and even though the flocks die in the field, And the cattle barns are empty. He goes on to say, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Leave that verse there just for a second. You understand what's going on. And you'll you'll get a better picture when you understand what was happening in Judah. See, Judah was an agrarian kind of society. Their economy was based upon really their farming and their agriculture. And so when, when Habakkuk was describing this fact that there was no fruit, no figs, and no olive, and no, no olive oil, and, and there's no, no food or no animals to shepherd, and he was describing all this stuff, what he was describing was is that this was utter destruction and utter desolation that was coming for Judah. 
So what he was saying is, is that, is that when, when there's no figs, and even though the, the, the trees are barren, and even though there's no cattle, like what he's saying is that everything was just going to be just desolate. It couldn't get any worse than what he's saying was to come. And even though all these things were to happen, poverty would strike, starvation would happen, and utter ruin and collapse of Judah would be upon us. Habakkuk says, we're going to lose everything. And even though this is going to happen, I, I will still rejoice. <laughs> and I still will be joyful. And I still will trust in the Lord. He still has confidence in who God is. And even though I will type of faith. And it wasn't that Habakkuk just had this power of positive thinking that he put into place. Is that Habakkuk wasn't just leaning on his own understanding. He was trusting in his knowledge and understanding of who God was. He leaned on his knowledge of God and he understood that that was greater. That God's power and God's might and God's ability was greater than all the adversity and all the calamity, and all the hardship that was to come. He had full confidence of that. You see, he would summarize it of where his strength to say, I will rejoice, and I will be joyful. He would summarize it with this statement here. He would say this, the sovereign Lord is my strength. That's how I can rejoice. That's how I can be joyful. That's how I can trust that's how I can still have confidence. Even though all this is happening, and even when calamity strikes, and even when full desolation happens, and even when we're full on starving, and even if my worst fears come to pass, I will still rejoice, I will still trust, I will still have confidence. Man, that's an incredible faith. But it's not just a faith that just leaves you kind of paralyzed. Look at what else he says. He makes me as sheer able to tread upon the heights. That's kind of a, an interesting metaphor. So what, here's what that means is that picture a deer on, on, a, on a steep slope mountain. And he, you know the agility of a deer. That mountainside is, is nothing to them. They can prance, they can dance, they can run, they can flee danger. There's something about the sure-footedness of, of a deer in that area that just has no, no care in the world. They can simply navigate everything there. And so although you may be in a steep incline, and you, it may be uh, sharp rocks on the bottom. And it may be uh, muddy conditions all around you. When you trust in the sovereign Lord, even though everything around you is collapsing, even though all hell break loose, is broken loose in your life, and even if what you feared is taking place, you can still move forward and you're not paralyzed in fear. How beautiful is that? And it's not because you have some self-reliant, confident hope that pulled that off. You're not just better at mental voodoo than the other people. It's that you have a confident hope in what? The sovereign Lord being your strength. That God's in control. And somehow or another, he's got this worked out. And that he's taking care of those details. And that's a game changer if you and I can figure that out. You may know the story of the man I'm getting ready to say his name. But it's an old, old story. Many of you, when you hear his name, are going to go, oh, I know it. But I want to challenge you 
to lean in and listen again with fresh ears to this familiar story. Because back in 1871, there was a man by the name of Horatio Spafford. He was a prosperous lawyer and a devout Presbyterian church elder. He was married to a woman by the name of Anna, and they were living comfortably in Chicago with their four children. That year, there was a huge fire in Chicago that broke out, and it devastated the entire city. A couple years later, his family decided to leave for Europe to visit with some friends. And as business would have it, he would be held up and detained in his, in his law firm and was not able to travel with his family, so he would send Anna and his girls ahead of him to Europe to travel on the boat. And on November 21st, 1873, the vessel carrying his wife and two daughters was accidentally rammed by another ship. And with 12 minute, within 12 minutes, the ship carrying his most precious of cargo, his daughters and his wife, sank. Horatio Spafford, I'm sorry, had four daughters. I don't know if I said two or four. Please forgive me. Horatio had four daughters, and they all perished. But remarkably, his wife survived. Anna, his bride, was found unconscious, and she was floating on a plank of wood in the ocean. Immediately after the rescue, when Anna was brought to safety and brought inside, she sent a telegram to her husband. And in that telegram, it included these words to her husband. She says these things. She said, saved alone, what shall I do? Can you imagine? Can you imagine getting a telegram like that from your bride? Saved alone. What, ha what happened? She would go on to talk in this, in this letter, it's hard to read probably from your perspective, about others that had lost their children. And she says, I'm just going to stay with this particular family till I hear from you because I do not know what to do. Can you imagine being paralyzed with just stuck and wondering? Very few people would understand what that must feel like. I know, John, you must know what that feels like as you shared your testimony with us. And after receiving Anna's lengthy telegram, not lengthy, rather, after receiving her telegram, Horatio Spafford sent sail to be reunited with his wife. And during the voyage, the captain would summons Horatio to the bridge of the boat and show him the sailing charts, and he would explain to Horatio that this was the very spot, Horatio, where their, your, your wife and kids, the boat sank, and this is the very spot where your daughters had perished. And it is said that is where Horatio then would return to his cabin, and he wrote the lyrics to the very familiar hymn that many of you have sung, It Is Well With My Soul. In those lyrics, they captivate or capture the, the idea of this even though I will faith. You'll recall the lyrics and you'll hear these themes. He says, 
even when sorrows like sea billows roll, even when somehow God grants him peace like a river. And so even so, I will declare it is well with my soul. Even when sorrows, imagine the sorrows, like a sea billows roll, God still granted him peace, peace enough that he would be able to say, I will declare it is well with my soul. He was able to reconcile somehow. And you and I can't even put our finger on that because you can't until you live it, right? But he said, even when my sorrows were swarming around me like a sea billow, just swarming all around me, God still granted me peace somehow through it so I could say it is well. Not good, not great, not wonderful, but somehow or another he could process this to say, even though I will still trust, and even though I will remain confident that God is still good, and even though I will trust in his faithfulness, and even though my heart is crushing under the weight of what's taken place, I will remain confident that God loves me and still cares for me. Oh, to have a faith like that. But sadly, that wasn't the end of the tragedy for the Spafford family. Following all that took place, Anna later would give birth to three more children. And on February the 11th, 1880, their only son, Horatio, would die at the age of four of scarlet fever, bringing together another devastating blow to the family. Naturally, Anna was utterly devastated, but yet again held tight to her faith in God. And she would say these words, It is very easy to be grateful and good when you have so much. But take care that you are not a fair weather friend to God. That's not an easy statement to say, is it? Sure, it is easy to trust God when He seems to be serving your purposes well. But it is an entirely different situation when you face adversity, when time is of the essence. And it can seem like God is inactive or unconcerned or late in your situation. For the Spafford family, they learned that they had an even though I will type of faith. And they learned it through hardship. Sadly, it's about the only way to really learn if you have that type of faith. But I pray that each one of us has inside of us the desire to want to be a person of faith like that. A faith that when everything else in your life is falling apart, that you still have the resolve to trust in God. To come to the place that says, even though sorrows and stress like sea billows are overtaking me, God somehow is giving me peace 
and I can finally say it'll be okay and I can rejoice and I can be confident that God is in control. Oh, to have a faith like that. You see, we see this kind of faith in King David and multiple times in his life. But it must have been on his heart and mind when he wrote the familiar psalm that we all memorized in Psalms 23. Because he says these words. He says this, verse 4, Even though (laughs) I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, here it is, I will fear no evil. Why is it? Why will he fear no evil? Because he's just really good at self, self, self kind of, you know, um, helping himself, self-speech? No. Why? For you are with me. The only reason that I can have this, I will fear no evil, is because I know you're with me. And so even though, and even when, and even if I walk through the darkest of valleys, I have this confidence Not in myself, but because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so for an application for us is that even though and even when and even if, even though your heart may be broken right now, I don't know what you're dealing with. I know for us, we got stuff that we're processing through through this lens. But even though your heart is broken... And even though you may be going through the most difficult season of your life right now, and even though you may have just lost everything, and even though you're dealing with all these medical issues and you're just so frustrated about everything that you're dealing with, and even though you may be struggling to conceive, or even though you just lost someone you love dearly, maybe for you it's even when even when things just don't make sense. For you, it's even when my eyes can't see a way out of what I'm dealing with. Even when the doctor says there's just nothing we can do for you. And even when the judge rules against you. And even if, even if this relationship ends, And even if you have to start all over again, and even if the economy just collapses, and even if my retirement just falls out from underneath the security I planned, even if the cancer returns, and even if I have to walk through the darkest of valleys, I'm not going to fear because you're with me. And I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on you. You see, that's the hard part. Because every one of those things in the even though category, in the even when category, in the even if category, every one of those things is trying to get your eyes off of God and onto it, right? And those are the enemies of God right there, aren't they? Those are your chief enemies. Even if I have to start all over, I'm starting over, starting over, starting over. No, 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 no. Stop worrying about starting over and fix your eyes on God. Even when the doctor says, I can't help you. No, 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 no. Stop thinking about that. Fix your eyes on God. Even if this relationship ends, no, 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 no. Fix your eyes on God. 
I mean, do you, do you see what happens? It's all these things that in the even those circumstances of life, those are things that want to take your attention off of God. And in order to have it, even though I will faith, we have to fix our eyes on God because those circumstances are never going to go away. They're always going to be surrounding you and present. That's why King David says this. He says this in verse 5. God prepares a table for us. Where does he do it? In the presence of my enemies. All those things are going to be all around you. All those struggles, all those challenges, they're always present. But who else is at the table with you? God. So do you fix your eyes on the presence of your enemies? Or do you fix your eyes on God? Your enemies are, are going to be there too. And God says, it's okay because I am with you. And so for us, our responsibility is that we need to fix our eyes on God in the presence of our enemies. Sure, fixing your eyes on God in the good times is easy. But learning to fix our eyes on God in the presence of our enemies, that's the game changer. and That's what gives you an even though I will type of faith. That's what I want. That's what I need. And my guess is that's what you want and that's what you need even though, and even when, and even if. In the presence of your enemies, in the middle of your storm, in the middle of your battle, in the face of persecution, in the face of uncertainty, even what you can't see, through it all, my eyes stay fixed on you. And when I do that, I can say it is well with my soul. Now, this isn't easy to do, but some people figure it out better than others. And you know why I think they figure it out better than others? It's not because they've just mastered the principle, but they've mastered something else. And here's what it is that they've mastered. Before they mastered the even though I will, they mastered something else much more profound. They've mastered the even though God will principle. King David says it like this in Psalms 138, verse 7. He says this. I think, yeah, here it is. Verse 7. Even though I'm surrounded by troubles, talking to God, you will protect me. Even though God will, okay? Though I'm surrounded by troubles, you will protect me. From the anger of my enemies, you reach out your hand, and the power of your right hand saves me. Listen, that's a game changer. When you and I understand that God is working and fighting on our behalf, then it's easy to say, if God's in control and God's got this, even though I'm going through the worst thing possible, and God is fighting for me and God is with me, well then in that I can remain confident and I will be confident, and I will trust, and I will say it is well, and I will somehow find peace, and I will trust in the Lord with all my heart, and I won't lean on my own understanding because this doesn't make sense, and I will acknowledge Him in all my ways and let Him direct my paths. I, I will rejoice, and I will trust. You see that? 
man, this is, what, this is what I want. This is what I need. I hope this is what you want and what you need. I want you and I to leave here today with an even though I will type of faith. But in order to do that, you have to fully understand that even though bad things happen in your life, and even when bad things happen in your life, and even if bad things happen in your life, God, as it said on that verse, God's fighting for you, and he's with you, he's protecting you, and he never leaves your side. And based upon that, well, I can get through anything. Oh, that's a good word, isn't it? Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to open your word. And first of all, Lord, I just thank you because your word is full of story after story after story of men and women of faith who have gone well before us, God, and have demonstrated that even though I will type of faith. People who've really been in the thick of it, God. Some, Lord, who you've gloriously saved through miracles. Others, Lord, who have gone on to be martyrs for you. But in both places, God, their eyes have been fixed on you in such a way that it inspires us. Because we can see through their faith and through their eyes that they have a confidence in you that transcends even their own understanding. And that blows our mind. Man, praise you for that. Father, thank you for giving us the ability to learn valuable lessons from those that have gone on before us in the faith. But Lord, also thank you for the men and women in our current contemporary lives. People like John and Elaine Ayan and others, Lord, that we know personally, even in our church, who are walking through some hard stuff, God, but yet have a faith that is just beautiful to watch. It's my prayer, God, that one day people will look back upon our family and my family, God, and just say, Lord, they did it. They're trusting in that same way. Because, Lord, our eyes can't see what you're doing in our family, and, but I am confident that you are with us. And we trust that you're with us. And even though we don't understand all that's happening, we are going to confidently serve you, and we're going to live our lives the best way we can and trust that you're going to do a miracle. Oh, Lord, I wonder how many people in the room are dealing with situations that they are facing, even if situations, and even when situations are walking through hard moments right now. Would you embolden their faith to have confidence in you? Would you strengthen them, God, although that they're being tossed around like storm-tossed seas, and their sorrows are heavy? Would you give them peace, Father, in their lives right now that, that you're in control? Would you minister to their hearts so that they can feel your presence and feel you sing over them, it is well, so that they can have that confident peace? Oh, thank you, God. Thank you for your spirit and for your presence in this moment. As we sing this final song, God, will you continue to minister to us all in those unique ways that only the Holy Spirit can do? For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.